As a Christian, it's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chappell challenges us to become rooted and grounded in our faith. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And Jesus is not suggesting that we dishonor our parents. He is teaching that we would not permit our love for family to supersede our love for Him. We live in a shallow and uprooted society, but as Christians, we can be firmly rooted in our relationship with Christ. In our series, Rooted for Growth, we will discover the nutrients we need to remain spiritually strong. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you don't have a healthy spiritual root system, then every part of your life is impacted negatively. Through today's scriptures, we will explore what it means to be a rooted Christian who is growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And now, here's Pastor Paul Chappell with part one of a message called, A Rooted Heritage. Sometimes in order to know where we're going, we need to look back to the founding principles of an organization. Uh, Sometimes a company needs to get back to the basics, and sometimes churches need to get back and remember, why do we exist? What's it all about? Certainly, countries and governments need to take a moment as they chart the course for the future and go back and say, what were the pillars upon which this place was founded in the very first place? Now, in order to get a context of our message this morning, I want you to take a moment and think with me about Old Testament history about Israel and about what God was doing with this country because he wanted them to look back to their founding heritage in order that they might go where they were supposed to go. And when you read Jeremiah chapter 17, you're reading about a time in Israel's history when they were what was known as a divided kingdom. They had the northern and the southern kingdom. By 721 BC, this northern kingdom had been attacked by the Assyrians and had been destroyed. And so Jeremiah is prophesying to what is called the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah began his ministry uh, in the 13th year of the rule of Josiah. And Josiah's reign was a good reign, and yet uh, the people were not following the ways of God. They turned away from the Lord. And so during the days of Manasseh, Jeremiah began really with earnestness, crying out, literally with tears, to Judah, calling them back to God. His messages were against their sin. His messages were for God. And these messages were given just a few years before Judah would be carried away into Babylon. By 586 BC, they were completely carried away into a pagan land. They were made slaves there. And we believe as we study the Bible, it is because they had turned their back on the Lord that they suffered such slavery. In chapter 17 of Jeremiah we find that the primary sin of Judah was really idolatry. They had been raising up what the Bible calls groves in high places. These were high uh, standing uh, elements where gods were placed atop and where they began to worship these gods made with hands instead of the creator God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
They had forsaken God for idolatry. Essentially, their faith had been uprooted because they had turned to the idols around them instead of the God above them. Our series currently is simply entitled Rooted for Growth. And there is no question that none of us are going to grow as we should if we are allowing the influence of false gods to persuade us and to influence our lives. And so it was with Judah. The more they paid attention to polytheism, the more they paid attention to pluralism, the further away from Jesus, the further away rather from God in the sense of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob they became. They forsook the promises of Jesus and of Messiah. This morning, we see three distinct aspects of Judah's situation that I believe really parallel the certain days in which we're living or the uncertain days in which we're living. And I want you to see in verse number one, the problem in Judah. And I want you to notice as the problem is given, it's very interesting how the Holy Spirit writes. He says, the, what's the next word? Sin. What was their problem? Sin. And the root of sin is pride. And so the, the prophet starts off in verse 1 with the sin of Judah is written with a pin of iron and with the point of a diamond. Now their, their sin can be simply stated in this way. They had turned from the Lord. They had turned completely away from the Lord. And the problem in Judah was that they had made this turning away from the Lord. And in verse number 1, it says that this sin was written. Uh, with a pin of iron and the point of a diamond. Now, if you've ever taken a diamond, maybe you ladies have uh, somehow taken a diamond and just brushed it across maybe some glass, or maybe you've seen it at a jewelry store, all the scratches. Uh, this emphasis on the diamond is saying uh, that this is a permanent matter that God has made record and that he has made record and that their sin has been written with the point of a diamond. Now, specifically, what was their sin? Notice, if you would, back in chapter 16, just to get a little more clarity on this sin. Jeremiah 16, 18 says, And first will I recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land, they have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. They were offering sacrifices to false gods. They were filling the land with carcasses that had been sacrificed to false gods. Verse 19 says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? So they were making gods unto themselves. They were following after false gods. In fact, verse 2 says, whilst their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. They were worshiping pagan gods. They turned from the Lord. But notice, secondly, they not only had turned from the Lord, but they had turned from their heritage. They had turned away from their heritage. Now, one of the fundamental truths I want you to see this morning is that when a nation turns away from God, they're turning away from the blessings of God. We have so many politicians today who want to endorse wickedness and who want to legislate sin and anarchy. And we, we see them time and again, and everything about them is anti-God. They're against God's family. They're against God's word. They ridicule the Bible. They ridicule Christianity. But then they come to political gatherings and they say, God bless America. They invoke the name of God as they just kind of mix it in with their vernacular. But the fact is, you can't violate God's word. You can't ridicule God and then expect him to bless you in the next breath. 
And so they were turning from the Lord, but what Jeremiah is telling them is, hey, you're not only turning from the Lord, you're about to lose your inheritance because all the good stuff you've had, that came from God. And the more you thumb your nose at God, the less you can say, God bless America. Uh, The fact of the matter is they go hand in hand honoring God and being blessed by God. So notice what it says in verse 4. It says, and thou even thyself shall discontinue from thine heritage. They're not going to be rooted in this heritage. They're not going to have claim to the promises of God anymore. The word discontinue is the Hebrew word shamat. It means to be released or to drop deliberately. God says, I'm going to drop you like a hot potato from your inheritance. Now, I don't know about you. I I don't think I'm in anyone's inheritance, but if I was, I wouldn't want to be dropped from it, right? What if I was about to inherit like a million dollars of In-N-Out burgers or something, you know? I mean, If you had that coming. Now, primarily, fundamentally, the inheritance of the Jews was the land. And sometimes when we talk about our position as a nation, the Bible says in Genesis 12, I will bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse thee. And the part of the Abrahamic covenant was that God gave to Israel the land. And so we've always believed as Christians in this Judeo-Christian ethic that we should honor God's promise to Israel concerning the land. But even God's telling them right here, if you go after the wrong gods, you're going to lose your heritage, a part of which is the land, your possessions, your prosperity. And they would lose the blessing. So the problem at Judah, they had turned from the Lord, they were losing their heritage. And the problem in America is that as we turn from God and as we have leaders who call themselves Christians but hold hands with every other faith and who literally entertain uh, in the in the state house and in the white house men who hate God and who defile marriage and yet at the same time say they love God God says hey you got a problem here Uh, you're turning from me but still wanting my heritage it doesn't work that way you're turning away from what my Bible says and then wanting me to bless you it doesn't work that way and a lot of people in order to justify this this radical change that's come into America, they, they try to say things to our children, and in the public schools in particular, things like, hey, it wasn't really all about Christianity, and you know, this, was a, this is a place for everybody, and it is, and we thank the Lord for that, but almost to the idea that in the founding of America, it wasn't really so Christian, it was just kind of a bunch of guys that wanted to make money. And let me say, our founders were sinners, just like we are sinners, but to, to identify them as a majority, as being non non-Christian is absolutely revisionist history. And I think we need to recognize, in fact, sometimes I've heard them say, well, they were just deists, you know, they, they, they didn't really believe in Jesus and the deity of Jesus Christ and so forth. But when you study the facts, 52 out of the 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence were orthodox believers in Jesus Christ. And that's why when you read a lot of our founding documents, whether the Declaration, whether you read uh, the, the walls in D.C., you're going to find inscriptions speaking about our Creator, speaking about Christ, speaking about the blessings that come from above. Uh, the truth is that our founders had a heart for the Lord. They wanted God's blessing. They didn't want the anger of God. They were in war after war. They needed help uh, in the Revolutionary War. They needed help to have peace during the Civil War. We trusted in God during World War I and World War II. Prayers were made in Congress that God would bless America. As early as 1636, Roger Williams, the founder of Rhode Island, who was also a Baptist minister, was a man who founded that state in order that they might in that 
colony worship freely. A few years later, uh, in Connecticut, there was a Connecticut constitution that was written, and the framework was written out, and the words said, we do therefore associate ourselves as on public state or commonwealth, and do for ourselves and our successors enter into combination and federation together to maintain and preserve liberty. And the purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we now profess. George Washington, our first president in his diary, wrote, quote, let my heart, gracious God, be so affected with your glory and majesty that I, will make the, that I will fulfill these weighty duties which you have required of me. I have called upon you to pardon me and to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered on the cross for me. You gave your son to die for me and have given me the assurance of salvation. Washington later prayed that God would teach us to love justice, mercy, and humility. According to the divine author of our blessed religion, grant our supplications, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Patrick Henry wrote these words, it cannot be stated too strongly or too loudly that America was founded by Christians with faith in Jesus Christ. John Quincy Adams, the highest glory of the American Revolution is that we join together government with the principles of New Testament Christianity. John Jay, the first justice of the United States Supreme Court, wrote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and in the interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christian for their rulers. In this day of tolerance, in this day of political correctness, no one denies that America has opened its arms to everyone and let them come. But let us never deny that America was founded by Christians with Christian principles for the purpose of honoring God. The problem in Judah was that they had turned their back on the Lord and they were about to lose the land. And I want to tell you, my friends, if we think we're so high and mighty in America, if we think all the blessings come from our intellect and our military might and all of this, I've got to tell you what, we are mistaken. Every blessing we've had, every crop, every time you go to the store and get food, every victory in military battle, every blessing comes from God above. And we would be wise to remember and give thanks to God from whom all blessings flow. It is God that has blessed us. And may we not repeat the sins of Judah. May they cease and may we see revival in our land. But notice secondly, the pronouncement of God. What does God think about this backsliding nation? Notice what it says in verse 5. Thus saith the Lord. By the way, I, I hope you're reading through your Bible this year and, and getting the daily devotional that we send out or getting a daily Bible reading schedule. And boy, when you read through the prophets, they didn't, mess, they didn't mince words. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Jeremiah, thus saith the Lord, he was the mouthpiece of God, and he was there to speak out to the people of Judah. And in verse 5, he says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. You know, if Jeremiah was alive and they invited him onto primetime television, Good Morning America, some of these talk shows with some of these liberal, sassy, rebellious women and wicked, ungodly men... 
I'll tell you what Jeremiah would say. He'd say, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and trust in God. And I mean, he would, he would get after them, wouldn't he? I mean, he wouldn't mince words. And that's what he said to them. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, he says. He gives a pronouncement. Look at verse 6. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when, God, uh, when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. So the first thing we see, the pronouncement of God, is we see a promised curse. I mean, he says, cursed be. And, and curses came along in the law according to a nation that would transgress against God. For example, look at Deuteronomy 28, 14. It says, and thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to go to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt hearken unto the voice of the Lord God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now let me just pause here. How many of you are thankful today that as a Christian you live under the grace of God? But God said to these children of Judah, he said, because of what you're doing, you're bringing a curse upon the nation. And I still believe there is a principle today, though we individually under the grace of God, that when a nation turns from God, that we are positioning ourselves not for the blessing of God, but for the curse of God. And one of the parts of the curse upon a nation that turned from God, Deuteronomy 28, 25, was this. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And thy carcass shall be meat unto all the fowls of the air and unto the beast of the earth and no man shall fray them away. So in verse number five, the Bible says, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm whose heart departeth from the Lord. You see, when we begin to trust in our education and our military, when we begin to think that we're smart because we're pluralist and because uh, we're, we're, we're so tolerant of all religions and so forth, what begins to happen is that we are departing, verse number five, departing from the Lord. We call it intellectualism. Uh, we call it education. God calls it departing from me. God says you're turning away from me. Look at Hebrews 3 in your notes, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Someone says, Pastor Chapel, I still believe in Jesus. I just practice Hare Krishna. I still believe in Jesus. I just like Tom Cruise, like Scientology. Well, I believe in Jesus. I just kind of believe that, you know, there's some other gods too. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, wait a minute. No man can serve two masters. You don't believe in me. You've departed from me. Do you understand that? Have you ever understood in the Bible that our God is a jealous God? He doesn't want one-tenth of us. He wants all of us. And they were trying to say they believed in God, but they were adding all the Gentiles' gods as well. And so we need to take heed. And, and you see, the fact is, it's not according to the plan of God uh, when we begin to deny him, when we ridicule his word and turn from his truth. Think about how it was in early America and how it is now. July 6, 1776, Samuel Adams said, the right of freedom is the gift of God Almighty. These principles are clearly seen in the New Testament. But then 1963, the Supreme Court said, the reading of the New Testament is psychologically harmful. Psychologically harmful. 
Madeline Murray O'Hare and other atheists began to raise up and fight and sue. And now since then, the ACLU and all the rest of the crowd grows in number every year. The God-haters are growing and growing and growing in America. And so now the revisionist historians are, are literally saying, well, listen, you know, we may have framed the Constitution. We may have framed our founding documents on biblical thought and principle, but we better not do that anymore. James Madison, the architect of the Constitution, said this. He said, we have staked our future on the Ten Commandments. He said, if we can get Americans to just live by the Ten Commandments. By the way, how many of you would agree, if we just get Americans to not kill each other, that would be a good start. By the Ten Commandments. But in 1980, Ring versus Grand Forks School District, the Supreme Court said, the posting of the Ten Commandments is unconstitutional. If students see them, they might meditate on them. They might even obey them. Wouldn't that be terrible if students obeyed the Ten Commandments? We don't want to offend this one over here. We don't want to offend this transgender guy here. We don't want to offend this one here. So we're throwing God under the bus, ladies and gentlemen, in America. Then and now. Did you know that early in America, in fact, from 1690 to the early 1900s, there was a book that was used in our public schools to teach children how to read. Taxpayer dollars provided these books. And and the books that helped them to read were called primers and And here's one of the books that I found, a little copy that I thought you'd find interesting. And this is how they learned to read in early America. A, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is heaviness to his mother. B, better is little with the fear of the Lord than abundance apart from him. C, come unto Christ, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. D, do not the abominable thing which I hate, saith the Lord. E, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. How many of you would say, wouldn't it be a great day if kids could even read such words? What happened to the tolerism? What happened to the tolerance, rather? There seems to be tolerance for everything except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1782, Congress said that they would approve and recommend to the people the Holy Bible for use in the school. But somewhere we got smarter than that. Somewhere we didn't want to offend somebody. And somehow we forgot Psalm 118.8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. And God said, you have turned from me and now you're bringing a curse upon your land. It is a promised curse. And secondly, there is a promised desolation. Now look at what it said there in verse six to this people of Judah. It said, for he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh but shall inhabit the parts places in the wilderness. Now listen, folks. They had the blessings of the Jordan River. They had the blessings of the fertile plains surrounding Jerusalem. God had blessed them. But now they were turning from the Lord, and so he said, what's going to happen to you, you're going to be like the heath in the desert. And the word heath is referring to a strip of desert land, totally barren, parched land that no one would ever go to where there's no sustenance, there's no fruit, there's no water. He said, you've been blessed, you've had a fertile land, but you're about ready to become like the heath, like the area that nobody would ever want, the land that nobody would buy, the land they just give away because they don't want to pay taxes on it. It's worthless, it's nothing. The problem that Judah had, they turned away from God. The pronouncement that God made, you are cursed with a curse because you have turned away from me. I don't know about you, I do not want to see America under such a curse, but I say to you today, We cannot legislate immorality. We cannot legislate ungodliness. We cannot uh, speak against God and his Bible and then sing God bless America and expect God to bless America. I, I want you to see finally this morning the promise of God. 
I said earlier, I'm thankful that God is merciful and He is long-suffering. Even at this moment, there may be, there could be, if we would get right with God, if we would confess our sin, if Christians would pray, if Christians would stand, somehow there could be, even now, a turning back to the Lord in America. And that is our prayer. And so notice what God promises in verse 7. He says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. You see, God said, if you're trusting in man, there's no promise there. There's no blessing there. But if you're trusting in the Lord, he he gives us, first of all, a promised blessing. And we need to learn to trust the Lord. Psalm 2 and verse 12 has sort of an interesting verse, and and it it sounds a little different at first, but Psalm 2.12 says, kiss the son, capital S, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The word son refers to Jesus. The word kiss refers to an attitude of worship. And God is calling us to worship him. You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chappell on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchappell.com and click on his social media links. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free Daily in the Word email devotional and take a look at all the helpful resources. Again, that's paulchapel.com. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchapel.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.